This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Saturday edition of the Best of Fight Back from the week that was. The day after Ontario's municipal election day, there were few surprises to discuss. The big news was the historically low turnout, with only 28.5% of eligible voters casting ballots in Toronto. Here in the city, John Tory sailed to a third term with 62% of the vote. But here is the disappointing math. 62% of 28.5% is just under 18, which means the mayor of the country's largest city was elected by fewer than 18% of eligible voters. Libby discussed this concerning trend of low voter turnout with fightbacks recovering politicians. Howard Hampton, former Ontario NDP leader, John Malloy, former Ontario Liberal MPP, and Hugh Siegel, former Senator of Canada. We had a very low turnout in Kingston where I live, and the mayor, who I think is a pretty decent fellow, got re-elected with 70% of the vote. But I think the problem is really voters deciding that it is in their interest to vote, and it matters how they vote. Um, in many cases, when you have a relatively popular incumbent like Mr. Tory or uh, here in Kingston, Mr. Patterson, there will be other people running, but the notion anybody else has a chance of winning is pretty diminished. So therefore, that does not encourage people to show up. People will show up to vote when they think it's a close election, and their vote may count. Problem number one. Problem number two, and this really relates to what may or may not be happening this afternoon relative to new zoning rules. If the provincial government, depending on how they put those zoning rules forward, but in such a way where the municipalities actually lose the existing authority they have under the Municipal Act, that will further diminish the salience of municipal government, which is not going to increase the amount of people who show up to vote. And, you know, it, it's an ironic thing, because on the one hand, Ford granted uh, Tory and Ottawa and probably others strong mayor powers for housing, but but he's kind of big-footing them, uh, uh, John, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been a very strange uh, uh, situation under Mr. Ford, because he gave more power to uh, uh, the planning tribunal and, and other bodies. And I know in my own community, developers go through, you know, they go through the motions to bring something forward. And as soon as they can, they get it in front of what's called LPAT, the, the planning tribunal, because, uh, you know, they have a sense they're going to win there. I mean, this bypassing the local municipalities has become very, very commonplace. We've seen the Ford government uh, encroaching with ministers' orders and things on on municipalities. They've really in taking away their their power, yet at the same time, they pass these laws to give more power to Ottawa and, and Toronto mayors, and now this announcement this afternoon. So, I, I mean, I think they put some, some things in the window to try to, I guess, give people the sense that municipalities have power, but their action has been very much to, to take away their power, which, you know, maybe that was part of the reason that people are, are just not engaged with the municipal government because they don't see them 
taking any leadership. Although the one thing I find is interesting, when I first entered politics, you went to the municipal level and then graduated to the provincial level, and now it seems you become a provincial uh, politician and then you run municipally, as Andrea Horvath and Stephen Del Duca and others have. Howard, I mean, uh, is it a good thing the province is stepping in? It seems to be. I mean, what they're saying it is, is to build more housing. what it looks like, a lot of it, the shape of it is just giving developers more free reign. I think on the one hand, the Ford government wants to be perceived as doing something, all right? And uh, especially in the short term. Uh, municipalities are, are, are very much concerned about the long-term cost. So we have to provide sewer. We have to provide water. We have to look after issues like libraries. We have to look after issues like policing. We have to look after issues uh, like, like, like fire. And we have to look after issues like what's going to happen to transportation plans. And I, and I, this is my take on it, and I'll disagree with it. I think the Ford government is doing things whereby they can say to people, oh, we did this to move things along. Uh, and uh, nobody's asking, all right, what is this going to mean in terms of uh, longer-term transportation issues, public transit, uh, the building of uh, of arterial roads, the building of perhaps you know more four-lane highways, what's it going to mean in terms of providing policing, providing fire, providing these other services, sewer, water, etc.? Howard Hampton, former Ontario NDP leader, John Malloy, former Ontario Liberal MPP, and Hugh Siegel, former Senator of Canada. Fightbacks Tuesday Recovering Politicians panel. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fightback. I'm Jane Brown. Some of the hottest and closest races were for GTA mayors, including two former provincial party leaders who looked for and won jobs at that level. Former NDP leader Andrea Horvath is mayor-elect in Hamilton, and Stephen Del Duca will take up the job in the city of Vaughan. The other former provincial leader, Patrick Brown, easily won re-election as mayor of Brampton. Patrick Brown and Stephen Del Duca spoke with Libby on Tuesday. I, look, I've learned through many years and many election wins and a few unsuccessful election uh, attempts to never take anything for granted and to put your faith in the people that you're running to serve. And I'm really grateful that last night the people of Vaughan decided to put their trust and faith in me. And I'm looking forward to working as hard as I can for them. So what do you want to do there? Well, I said throughout the campaign, like literally from day one, that my number one goal is to tackle traffic gridlock. It's it's been bad here in Vaughan for a number of years. We've had a lot of growth up here. There's more growth that's scheduled to come. I do have a unique set of skills and experience given my time as transportation minister. And so I think fighting traffic gridlock is number one, especially as we continue to grow. Uh, I'll say another thing that's really become a hot topic lately. Vaughn has has historically been a very safe community, but in the last few months, we've had a pretty sharp increase in auto thefts. We've had some additional gun crime here. So I think community safety needs to be a top priority as well. And frankly, just working closely with the newly elected council to deliver for the people of Vaughn. Those are, those are my priorities. What I said throughout this campaign on the strong mayor's question was, and I stand by this, look, and I need to learn more about exactly what it entails, um, but if the province decides to extend that power to Vaughn, I get it. I understand that it may, on a case-by-case basis, be a power or an authority that might have to be used, 
But it seems to me that at the municipal level in particular, you have to take great care as a mayor to use a power that shuts out council and more importantly, shuts out neighborhoods, communities. Uh, We do need to build more housing, all forms of housing, purpose-built rental, deeply affordable units, uh, you know, uh, units for and housing for developmentally challenged individuals in this province, for seniors, uh, and at market housing. So there's a ton that we need to build. I'm going to wait and and judge what we see today once I actually have a chance to dive into those details. And I'm looking forward to working with the province, with other municipalities, and frankly, even the federal government to confront the housing affordability crisis that we have. Now let's bring in Patrick Brown, mayor-elect of Brampton. The race, your race, uh, was... I would say probably the nastiest race that was uh, going on, except for maybe the two brothers in Port Colburn. Um, so, uh, what is what's your conclusion of all of that, and and how do you move forward? Well, the great news is we won a massive mandate, one of the biggest victories in the in the city history. We have a massive majority around the council table, and so. You know, the politics of, of hate and mudslinging and negativity uh, were rejected in a resounding manner in in Brampton. You know, we had someone um, from Windsor, a paid political operative, and, and Nick Cavallis, who came in, not because he believed in any candidate, but because uh, I had uh, had disagreements with him in the, in the past. Um, and uh, he he doesn't understand Brampton. He didn't understand that that type of, of hate and intolerance and Islamophobia um, is very much um, not welcome in our community. And so the result is really encouraging. It, it shows that in our city, um, the vast, vast majority of the city have have love in their hearts, not uh, not hate. And that type of toxic politics uh, um, is rejected. Okay, so what's your top priority then? So going forward, um, you know, I um, understand that Residents want more investments in public safety, and we have more calls to 911 than we have officers able to respond. So I really want to go to the region appeal table and advocate for more resources for the Peel Police so that um, our chief, uh, Nishan Derapa, has a better capacity to respond to both nonviolent and violent calls. Right now, he has to tier and prioritize which calls he can respond to. So I think with the growing sophistication of crime and how it's easier to steal a car than ever before, easier to smuggle weapons than ever before, we need to equip uh, our police with with the same resources and technology to respond. Patrick Brown, the re-elected mayor of Brampton and mayor-elect for the city of Vaughan, Stephen Del Duca. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Coming up after the break, is it time for the medical community to finally ditch the body mass index? We discuss next. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. It's the measure commonly used to determine whether you are at a healthy weight and to screen for obesity. BMI, or body mass index, is calculated by dividing an adult's weight in kilograms by their height in meters squared. But for years, experts have been saying it is an imperfect tool that misses important factors 
and needlessly stigmatizes a lot of people. Now there is a renewed call to get rid of it. Fight Back got reaction from Dr. Sean Wharton, medical director of the Wharton Medical Clinic in Burlington. The more that we we um, have a, a recognition that there are different people that make up the the, the um, world. I think the the our 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 extra attention and the appropriate attention on the varied um, uh, composition of Canada of the world um, uh, requires us to look at all things in a, a, a more. Uh, um, um, a more appropriate lens, and BMI is definitely one of them. It was designed, uh, the categories were designed for white European males, and it was not designed for the rest of the world. So how so? So it, it, it made this calculation for white males. One of the criticisms that I've heard is that it doesn't take into account where your fat is, and it's much more dangerous if it's around your middle. But uh, white guys, like, they have a lot of guts. I mean, big, big, that's where they carry, a lot of them carry their fat. Yeah. Yeah, so that is true. So so BMI wasn't designed for white European males. The BMI cutoffs were Ah. defined for them. So BMI is just a measurement, just like weight. If you're saying like weight or height or any number was defined for somebody, it's not. It's just a number. So BMI is simply a measurement, and it's um it's it's not it it is not the the problem. It's not the the issue. So we should try to stop demonizing the BMI number. There are some challenges with it, and we can discuss the challenges of just that actual number. But the bigger problems are the categories in which we say that this BMI equals this type of health. So a BMI of 30 equals a unhealthy person, whereas a BMI of 25 equals a healthy person. That's not accurate. So, And that may be accurate in the white European male population in general, but it's not accurate for a, a black woman, for a woman, for an indigenous person, woman or or man, a South Asian woman or man. That's who it's not accurate for, which is most of the world. The other components are that many physicians' offices and procedures use BMI cutoff to conveniently um, bias and stigmatize against people with elevated weight. I'm not going to do your knee surgery because your BMI is at such and such. I'm not going to give you IVF treatment for to have a baby because your BMI is above the cutoff. That's wrong. And that's and that's a mistake. Is there anything you'd like to leave us with on this? Yeah, I I, I think that I, I I agree with that that use using um uh, BMI cutoffs is fraught with multiple problems. But I also want to ensure that people understand that BMI BMI is not the big problem. A BMI has some science aspects to it as we as BMI goes up in all uh, in, multi, in in uh, an entire entire population. So from an epidemiological standpoint, so the epidemiology of an entire country, our entire area, there is some benefit to it, some benefit. So we've been using it still for um, for for nationwide studies um, and global. Uh, um, uh, um, um, global studies because it's an easier measure to actually get. I think we'll be switching at times if we can, 
but there is some some uh, some small merit there. But on an individual level, when you're in front of your doctor, that doctor should use the health parameters that we doctors have learned how to use, which is blood sugar, blood pressure, looking at the patient, talking to them, assessing them, their family history, instead of just assuming right away that their BMI tells the entire story and they're disregarded for other types of treatments. And, and I believe that, that 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 is wrong. Dr. Sean Wharton, medical director of the Wharton Medical Clinic in Burlington. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Monday marked the start of Diwali, the five-day-long South Asian Festival of Lights that celebrates the triumph of light over darkness. It is a huge holiday celebrated by Hindus, Sikhs, and Jains. In other words, a lot of people in the GTA take part in the annual traditions surrounding it. On Monday, which was also Ontario's Municipal Elections Day, Libby was joined by Dr. Jaspreet Kaur Ball, Vice President of Ontario for the World Sick Organization. So while folks celebrate for different reasons, I can share the Sikh reason for celebration. We had 10 gurus in our religion, and our sixth guru was freed from imprisonment in the Gwalior Fort and was released with 52 prisoners. So he was in prison, and they offered him release. And he said, I'll only go if any, everyone can go with me. And they said, anyone who can hold on to your clothing can go with you. There were 52 other political prisoners, and he had a, a custom robe made with 52 tassels on it. It was awesome. He outsmarted everyone, and everyone walked out with him. As he was traveling home, uh, because it was part of this lunar calendar and there was no moon, and it coincided with the body, there were all of these lights that were lit up and his path was lit up and everyone celebrated with the lights at that time, if you can imagine. Um, this wasn't a time where there was a lot of other lighting. So this is something that, this is the reason that we celebrate it in accordance with the lunar calendar on the day where there is no moon and we make sure that we provide our own sources of light to celebrate that triumph of light over darkness. So that was a Sikh guru, but it's also celebrated by Hindus and Jains. Yes, absolutely. It's celebrated by different religions for different reasons. So they have their own stories and their own uh, religious traditions and their own reasons for celebrating. And because we come from, a lot of Sikhs come from India and a lot of Sikhs come from Punjab, there are people of every religion there. So you kind of end up in this massive celebration where even with folks with different religions, you're all celebrating. What would people be doing? Is it a uh, a night at home, a celebration at home, or what? It can be a little bit of everything. Um, so the idea is to light up your world. And so at home, we would do things like divas, which were the traditional lights that we had back in the village or back at home. So it would be a small clay pot. You would put a little bit of clarified butter in it and make a wick out of cotton. And then growing up, I went to the Gurdwara, which is our central Sikh institution. They're all over, um, well, they're all over Canada. But yeah, I predominantly temple. went to Yeah, temples. And we, I predominantly went to the one in Mississauga. We did fireworks. We did sparklers. We did candles. We did divas. We covered the Gurdwara in Christmas lights. So every type of decoration you can think of, anything that shows light was present there. We also gave a lot of sweets, and that's something that, that carries forward into the workplace. And it can be Indian sweets, it can be donuts. We all exist in these multiple cultures and we're finding a way to celebrate it differently. Um, and I'm also now a dog owner. So I'm a little bit more mindful to not do the fireworks as much because it means spending a night trying to calm my dog down. Oh, 
it, there was for a while an issue for a lot of people that the election uh, was on tonight. Uh, do you have any view on that? Yeah, that was a really interesting choice that was made. I think um, with all minority communities, especially with Sikhs, we're very political. A lot of Sikhs are running in municipal elections, so it was a very busy day for them. There were alternatives, so I'm definitely someone who went to the polls a bit early. And I think it's when you are... Um, our religion doesn't have a divide between spiritual and political. And specifically, this guru that we're celebrating, Guru Hargobin, was adamant that there not be a split between spiritual and political. So I can't think of a better way to celebrate than to engage in something like voting. Anything you'd like to uh, leave us with? I think when I reflect as an adult and as a Canadian on how I truly want to celebrate Bundy Chordavis, it's always about the spirit of that. So how, what are we doing currently? Where do we see darkness in the world? And what are we doing to make sure that we are the light in the world? And that's the message that I share with my family and my children. So alongside all of the celebration and food and family, is there a concrete thing that you can think of that you would like to see happen differently? Which is also why I think it ties in so beautifully with voting, because I think it's a day you can create action. So I think that's something I would want to leave folks with, regardless of what tradition you fall into and what you're celebrating today, what's one piece of darkness you would like to dispel from the world? And just to focus on that today and try and create some change today. Dr. Jaspreet Kaur Ball, Vice President of Ontario for the World Sick Organization. She was in conversation with Libby on Monday, the start of Diwali, which was also Ontario's Municipal Election Day. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Still to come, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer has the most informed guests on the week's hot topics, and we also rely on you for your valued opinions. Here are some of this week's best calls. Joan in Mississauga phoned about her proactive move to save money at the grocery stores. I go from store to store to store, and what blows my mind is they all have the same pricing. So what I'm saying is I'm a grocery buff. My dad's 90, I'm a senior, and I'm looking for the best deal. But what I find now is you go from store, all the big chains, it's almost like they're all talking to each other and say, okay, this thing was $7.99, and now we'll make it $14.99. And you go from store to store, and it's all fourteen ninety nine. So what I'm doing now is I'm calling the Canadian companies. I'm calling Quaker. I'm calling Purina. And I'm saying, I'm a senior, and you've doubled your prices on cat food and cereal and all. And, and you're in Canada. Why are you doubling your prices? Kathy in Etobicoke also called about the higher food prices these days. The supermarkets are putting their, their profit margin and their shareholder profits in with their balance sheets rather than taking the profits and profit and loss first and then what's left over will go to shareholders. I think they've got it a little bit backwards. They're paying a premium to their shareholders instead of uh, looking at where the prices really need to be set. And that doesn't have to be record high profits. Jeff in Bowmanville phoned about the proposed provincial legislation to increase affordable housing. I can appreciate the province's 
initiatives in terms of increasing the housing supply. And let's be clear, there's only one reason that this has come forward. It's because the Greater Golden Horseshoe area is one of the most desirable places in the world for people to live. And we have more people coming from outside the area uh, to, to this part of the world every year. We have to accommodate for that. The growth isn't from birth rate. It's from people coming from other parts of the country or other parts of the world. So we have to do something, and there has to be a plan. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week is Rawl in Toronto, who phoned about the results on religious affiliation in the latest census information. A lot of people who come here, lastly, they, they might want to blend in. So they'll be like uh, Russell Peters said, my dad thought that being Canadian meant cooking burgers on a grill. So we're going to look really Canadian today, is what his dad said. And we're going to grill up a bunch of burgers to serve to people in the neighborhood. A lot of people, <clears throat> they think, oh, well, there's a lot of hating on Christians now. We're just being confused with Catholics and what allegedly happened many, many years ago. So if I put down that I'm not a Christian, then it'll make me a real Canadian. There's a lot of variables, a lot of angles that may result in people not answering. Honestly, lastly, when I was a little kid, we used to have a Bible in school for the past 20-odd years. Millennials and I think Generation Z, they have gone without Bibles in the school. So that could be a contributing factor as to certain trends or fads that are orchestrated by design. That does it for today's Best to Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby and call our Fightback voicemail anytime at 416-367-9636. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.